This episode of Nomad Athlete Radio is brought to you by Thrive Market, a revolutionary online marketplace with thousands of the best-selling non-GMO foods and natural products, always at 25 to 50% below traditional retail prices. Get an additional 25% off your first order plus a 30-day free trial by visiting thrivemarket.com/nomadathlete. Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington D.C. and you're listening to Nomad Athlete Radio. Doug, I have uh, I've come to a decision, a conclusion that I am officially out on black bears and wildlife in general. <laughs> you're just over them and generally you're just like done with it. Yeah, I'm completely done with them. So we we have, uh, as I've mentioned on this podcast, we we see them fairly often in our <clears throat> in the house where we live in now because it's sort of in the woods up on a big hill. Sort of, I don't know if it's a mountain, but up on up in the mountains and. We started seeing them all the time, um, and then I went away last week, and my wife and kids had what I would say is a bear encounter that was scary because they they were walking our dog back up the hill, and the path was blocked by a giant bear, and the bear wouldn't move, and they tried to step into a neighbor's house, which required taking a few steps toward the bear, and then the bear stepped towards them when they mm. did that. So they had to go then down the hill and to another neighbor's house, which was, you know, fine, except scary to me that the two kids were there with her and our dog, which is, you know, just a wild card in this situation. Um, so all that happened, which, you know, I was like, okay, no more walking the kids down the hill. We're going to drive them down if they ever want to go down to see the horses or whatever's down there. Um, but then I went on vacation last week and one of the guys there was a big outdoors guy. And we were talking about grizzlies and all that, and he was saying, he was like, but you, you know that the black bears, they're the ones that actually will track people and eat people, which was news to me. I thought they were the ones who were more scared of us than we were of them and, you know, just friendly ones who you just didn't want to get in between the mom and the cubs. But uh, I started researching that, and apparently black bears actually stalk people. They, they will walk uh... along with you for a long time. Look it up, Doug. There's been, there's been studies done on black bear deaths. There's been... I think 60 of them in the past 100 years or so, which is kind of small, I know. But uh, <laughs> but there's video, so there's this woman on YouTube who's hiking, and she, and she shows the two black bears starting to track her, and one comes up and like starts to nibble her leg, and she, she kind of makes a move, and it does get scared and goes away because it's a little cub. But I'm scared. So I, so I, I don't know, Matt. <laughs> so, I went, so listen, so I mustered up the courage. <laughs> To say, okay, I'm not going to let that bother me. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to look at the statistics here. Yep. It's safe. Safe, easy, less chance of that than being struck by lightning. And I was like, I'm going to drive to the bottom of my hill so that I don't encounter the bears on the hill and much less likely to see them on the main road. That very run, I saw two bears on the, just next to me, 15 feet away in the, across the little tiny river by my house. <laughs> and that was, that was the official end of my running career and <laughs> wildlife <laughs> Uh, oh no fandom oh i'm no. out you're out totally oh. out yep i don't know this is disappointing news matt i'm just, <laughs> <laughs> i gotta say i'm a little bummed to hear this uh because you you know i think was it was it last week when you were talking about maybe training for a hundred miler again <laughs> yep i was thinking about that oh geez that that is done that plan is off they are they are out in full swing right now i will say that i have i I saw two on my run this past weekend, and um, Katie just said she saw one at the playground uh, at mm. Lake Tomahawk. They're out right now. I think it's that that time of year when they're just 
gathering up all their berries for the <laughs> right for the which winter. is fine as long as they find berries if they don't find berries they go after people <laughs> that's, that's, that's not that's true, what i concluded man. from the that's article the... <laughs> it said in a, in a good season they're fine oh but if it's not a good season they're gonna start tracking baby deer and people you know, I, with kids, I you know I get that you don't want you don't want any you don't want to take any risks when you're walking with your dog right. and your kids. Uh, but I, you just you know, Matt, you can't you can't live behind the <laughs> the fear of a, a bear attack in every. <laughs> <laughs> I if if I only saw them one out of ten or fifteen runs, then I could say all right, chances are very slim. But if I think I want to see them every run, I can't even enjoy the run. I just I, I don't know what to do. I might I might try to get some pepper spray to have because no no at least in the study that i looked at no bear black bear fatality had ever involved bear spray so it seems that it is 100 percent effective at at, mm. at keeping the bears from killing you so that's well that's good that's kind of good but the bear spray cans are giant you would never want to run yeah. with one so what i wanted though is if you just brought a regular small pepper spray for normal self-defense would that be a, enough of a deterrent and i think if i had that i would feel a little bit just just comfortable enough to do it I bet it. I bet it'd be a deterrent. I mean, I think the pe- the bear spray sprays further, which is a oh okay, which is a I thing. see. So you like don't have to get as close, but uh, you know they have like bear bells. Have you ever heard of those? Have heard of that, but which see, this isn't this isn't known. about scaring. This is that that would actually attract the bears to. No, you. it does not. Yes, yes no, it does not. That's <laughs> <laughs> if what you're worried about oh is them gosh. tracking you. You need to be silent. You need to slip past them undetected. Oh, Matt. <laughs> what I read is that the. Everyone thinks it's getting between the mom and the cubs. That isn't the source of the fatalities. All that is is the mom scares people away. Maybe we'll swat at you and give you some welts, but they're not trying to kill you. It's it's the eating is the, the problem. Okay. All right. <laughs> I just, uh, I don't buy that in a neighborhood full of trash cans that those bears are going to be going after I think, people. Yeah, and, uh... that's true. We do have a lot of trash <laughs> cans. And they, I, it, the other, one more thing, in fairness, I guess, to black bears is that most, almost all of the, bad things happen in very remote areas so i think the more the bears are around the people i mm-hmm. think the less people seem like a food source to them i think that that is very true yeah so. <laughs> but why don't you get a little pepper spray and then get back out on the yeah get, get back out on the hill and you'll be fine <laughs> all right i think i'll do that <laughs> anyway but i mean it, it has been a serious thing and you know what not a terrible segue dug into our episode topic it's true. Which is uh, which is anxiety, and mm-hmm. we've we've I know you've suffered a little bit of that. I have suffered a lot of that in the past, and uh, although this is a joke, this bear thing, it it is. I think I do have a tendency like that kind of, I don't know what it is, hypochondria, just fear for my own safety that I kind of like will tend to go irrationally off on little, you know, uh, what would be the word? Not tangents, not diatribes. That's something different too. <laughs> uh, but holes. yeah and just yeah exactly go down the, down the webmd rabbit hole go on a, a bear fatalities rabbit hole and start digging up information just enough facts to really make it seem like a tangible risk yeah so anyway not totally unrelated to to the anxiety i've suffered so yeah yeah well i mean i get that yes you know i mean i get it i get it it doesn't <laughs> bother me too much but uh but, but you're not I, I get though. I do. I understand the fear of bears, and when I see them, you know, like on Saturday's run, and I was I was in the middle of the woods, not in the neighborhood. You know, uh, it definitely heightens your senses for sure. Mm-hmm. But my my trick is to, um, if I'm worried about bears, to turn music on, but with no headphones. Mm-hmm. So instead of a bear bell, which would annoy the heck out of me, 
Right. Uh, I just have like music playing to a to a you know loud enough to where they could hear me coming. Again, you oh, know like maybe maybe if, like a, yeah right, okay. on my phone. Yeah. Gotcha. That's good. And yeah. maybe if they're tracking me, then that might be a problem. But <laughs> but I just highly doubt that that is happening around here. Right. I think that's probably correct. <laughs> that's a that's a good trick. I like that idea. Mm-hmm. Good. <laughs> yeah. Well. Anyway, uh, let's see. What else is new? It's my wife's birthday today. That's good. Happy birthday, Katie. Yeah. Creator of uh, of the yoga kit, Nomad Athlete Academy module. That's right. Yoga extraordinaire. We are um, this weekend. We're gonna go have a nice dinner plant. Ah, very nice date night. Yep. Good. Well, good for you guys. How many years? Or no, it's not. An, it's not an anniversary. <laughs> How many years old is she? Is that is that a lot to be she said? She is thirty four. Okay. And uh, actually, in a couple of weeks is our five year anniversary. Wow, wedding anniversary. Way to go. Good for you guys. You were there. I was there. <laughs> and so we're the Nomad Athlete listeners because we talked about it, I think. That's right. We've been doing this for five years. That's crazy. <laughs> that is funny. All right. Well, um, we're going to start, I guess, talking in sort of a practical sense about anxiety, and that is with race day anxiety. I guess mm-hmm. is there, other, is there other, other running anxiety besides race day anxiety? Uh, you know, I mean, I think I do think that people, uh, especially, you know, as I've worked with coaching clients and stuff, I, you know, I think pe- some people just really have a lot of trouble trusting that they're doing the right thing. You know, it, if you're training for a marath- your very first marathon, you know, it just seems so bizarre that like in two months you can, you could be running a marathon when right now you're only running 15 miles or something like that. And, it, and that 15 miles hurts so much. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think that there's some anxiety around training, but, uh, you know, mostly as far as what we're talking about, uh, I think that the race day anxiety is more relevant here. Right. Good. All right. Uh, and I suppose, I suppose one could extend it to lots of other sporting events as well. I was, sure. I was thinking about this though. It's interesting that, that race day anxiety is a thing for the type of racing that we're talking about. I mean, even a 5k race, uh, is way different from a, a, a two-minute figure skating, you know, performance, mm. right? The, the level of pressure or gymnastics or swimming, something that is over relatively quickly. Um, right. And obviously there's different forms of those things that maybe can take much longer. But in an endurance event, it's kind of funny to me that, that there's anxiety because that, that endurance event isn't, like success in that is not at all dictated by what you do in, in any given one-second period. Uh, or even one minute period. I guess if you if you went way too fast on a hill, or you made the choice to skip an aid station, and there's not another one for five or ten miles, then maybe a, a decision that you make in a relatively small amount of time could affect you later. But I think for the most part, most people aren't going to make mistakes like that. Right. Uh, perhaps perhaps your very first marathon, you might make a mistake like that and learn from experience. But it's just interesting. I just think of anxiety sort of in that sense for me is usually about like what if i don't do what if i don't step up to the challenge during that one moment uh it's you know it's like it's like there's not that much you can you've already done all the work all the training how you fare in this race is already kind of dictated by what you've done barring any big mistakes so it's kind of strange to me that that anxiety is an issue but it definitely is one i've i've had it as well and uh i don't know i'm curious to hear what kind of strategies you might have doug for yeah avoiding it well i mean you know that is that is a very interesting thing that i've, I've never really thought about because you're right it's not like um you know in gymnastics certainly one missed you know one, one missed, missed vault vault you know could be the end of your entire 
tournament or whatever you call it. <laughs> we're, we're, we're big gymnasts, <laughs> as everyone can tell, I think. You know, or like, uh, say, you know, say in a swimming meet, you know, the the way you uh, dive off of the platform. Dive board. <laughs> no. <laughs> starting. Gosh, we're, we're starting to sound terrible. <laughs> no, the starting block. Yeah, yeah. The way you like, you know, dive off the starting block could be the end yeah, of or one race. or one turn. If you do a bad one turn. turn, sure, yeah. Right. Uh, but you know, in a marathon, or even you're right, even in a shorter like five k, that's not really an issue. Five right. k, though, I guess I can get right. Five k, the success, the difference between success and failure is probably a matter of a few seconds mm, right? for someone who's competitive, and mm-hmm. even for someone who's not competitive, I think you could you could go too fast in the first mile or in the first one one minute of the first mile at some point, right. go too fast, and that's right. going to affect your whole race. So I I get that a little bit more. And certainly track races and stuff like that. But, you know, we yeah. don't really talk too much about that. And uh, really, we're, I think we're talking about longer races. Right. So the anxiety then, I think, is mostly just a fear that what you've done isn't going to be enough for, for what you're trying to do today. Right? I would, yeah, I would say that's true. Or that, I mean, there, I think there is fear, you know, like for for me anyway, with an ultra, um there's a lot of fear about, I mean, not like missing a gel or, you know, going out a minute too fast on the, you know, in the first mile, but like, you know, just not being smart about my race or overthink, you know, not having the right gear or not being prepared for the weather, you know, mm-hmm. that, that kind of stuff. So I guess it is a lot of the preparation stuff that, um, you know, that, that you worry about and whether you're properly trained or not, but I mean, there's, you know, when, when you train for one specific race for four months or five months, there's a lot of pressure, I think, to, to perform well during that race. And, and that, you know, performing well might be a variant of a half an hour or, or like in a hundred mile or, you know, a couple hours. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of pressure to, to execute the race because you, you've put in all this time, you've done all this work, there's internal pressure, there's external pressure from the people that you have uh you know not been able to hang out with or you know you've your family that you have um you know kind of left for all those miles Mm -hmm. that you've been running by yourself you know and so it just there's this this pressure that i think um for a lot of people including myself causes some level of anxiety going into race day yeah, I think that I think that makes a lot of sense. It, it you've trained all this time, and it does all come down now to this one day or this four hours or whatever whatever you're trying to do. Um, and I think as as we were talking, I, I realized that at least during a marathon, it it kind of does like the first I don't know sixteen miles are it's kind of about just not messing up and just sticking to your pace. There does come a moment when you kind of have to you know, step up and decide you're going to keep going at this pace mm-hmm. instead of just quitting. And and that, in a marathon, really that decision, I mean, can kind of happen in, in a matter of a couple of minutes where, where you're just going and it's starting to really get to you and you kind of make a decision about whether you're going to keep pushing or not. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. In ultra marathon, I think it happens over a little bit of a longer time period. Like it might happen over the course. For me, I've had it, I've felt it over like miles like 35 to 40 of a 50 miler where you really, really want to quit and you kind of just have to endure through that time. And then once you get through that that hour or whatever that amount of time is, when you're really considering it, you're you're close enough then to the finish that it's no longer really a question. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I mean, in, in less, and we're not even talking about things like, uh, 
you know, when you were trying to qualify for Boston, you know, and it really did come down the seconds and stuff like that. I mean, and you had trained for years for that, you know, mm-hmm. I think I mean, there must have been pressure. And that's, that's where, like, even over the course of a three-hour race, you know, one screw-up at a water station or one kind of letting your head mind slip and slowing down for a mile can, uh-huh. you know, could have meant that you didn't qualify. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. All so right. how do you deal with things? How do you, you know, I have some of my own tips, but, uh, you know, what are, when it comes to pre-race anxiety, what are you focused on? I guess I've never had tricks or maybe maybe even felt a big need to prevent the anxiety. Um, I think I've learned how to deal with the fact that the anxiety is there. Mm. Um, and mostly that comes down to more practical things like how you choose to eat and drink leading up to the race. Uh, it used to be that I would, you know, get up an extra hour early uh, so that I could eat that first meal four hours ahead of the race time or something. And then I would keep eating uh, two hours later because I just had this sense that I had to make sure I had enough food in me and was totally good to go and completely, you know, optimally prepared for this thing in terms right. of food. Um, and that, I would say, created anxiety. It, it was mm. extra stress just having to do that stuff. But then the fact that I was now not feeling well, my stomach felt stuffed full of bagels and whatever <laughs> else I ate, Right, uh, right. It just it just added to this whole feeling, and then then you got having to go to the bathroom and different stuff like that that is now happening unnaturally because you're eating in a way that you're not used to eating. Um, so I would say the big thing I learned is to kind of chill out about that, and as much as possible, just make it feel like a kind of a normal day. Obviously, it's not a normal day; it's a race day. You need to do things differently. Um, but if you've rehearsed those on your long run days before that, leading up to the race, then that can help. Right. Uh, but I think as much as possible, kind of just trying to make some decisions that that I guess you could view as sacrifices in terms of like totally optimal preparation in terms of nutrition, but uh, that give you that added feeling of normalcy going to the race. Another good one is uh, I had always had this thought that you were supposed to, and I had read it in books, so it's not just a random thought, but I, the idea that you should be drinking a lot of fluid during that hour leading up to the race because you're kind of done eating solid food by that point. And I'm speaking about a marathon here. I'm sure there are different things for different races. But uh, I would just kind of keep drinking water and Gatorade and things like that leading up. And then when I'd get into that starting corral in the marathon, all I would have to do is go to the bathroom. And and that added a huge amount of stress and anxiety because it was like now I need to either try to dart off and, and do this really quick. And I'm talking about number one, by the way. So it's not even a major bathroom thing. It's just, it just this feeling of discomfort. And it's like I need to take care of this somehow. It's either going to be now or it's going to be at the first bathroom stop in a mile or two when it's probably going to be crowded and i probably have to wait in line right and lose a bunch of time or push it till later when i know i'm then i got to run for three or five miles not feeling comfortable so that added a lot to that and i finally learned after three or four times of doing that like hey just don't do what the book says like don't keep (laughs) drinking water in that last hour drink it before that and make sure you can you can get it out of you in time before the race starts and there, there is seriously nothing worse than standing in a really long porta potty line the like twenty minutes before a race starts, and not <laughs> yeah. knowing if you're going to get to that's the crowd. That's a huge amount of anxiety. No, okay. it really is. It uh, really is. Yeah, because you one you have to pee, and two like you're just standing there like, why is this line going so long? Because everybody's trying to go number two, and right, it's just like, oh, am I going to make it? Am I going to miss the start? And if I miss the start, then what happens? You know, exactly. Um, that yeah, that is that is hard. Yeah, you know, for me, it's it's. Uh, 
it's been less about the like morning of stuff than it has the days leading up to it. And especially the, like the night before. Mm-hmm. Um, and my, you know, my, my kind of big advice that I like to give people is, and it's, it's nothing groundbreaking. So <laughs> don't, don't get too excited here, but it's to really, it's to prepare for everything that you can and, um, and then begin to let go of the things that you can't. Um, because I think that that's like a big thing for me is, um, you know, I start overthinking weather and I start overthinking gear and, and, uh, and being nervous about, you know, what the rain will do and if I'll, you know, if my stomach will flip and that kind of stuff. These are all things that I can't control, right? But I can control making sure that I have uh, all my gear organized and that I have, um, you know, eaten the right things the night before and, the you know, the week leading up to it and that I, um, you know, have really detailed notes on, on my pacing and my, you know, my aid station stops and that kind of stuff that my crew is prepared, you know, and this is of course talking about ultra marathons here, but, um, you know, I, I, I can control that stuff. And if I, if I come into the day before the race, having all that already prepared and already set up and, um, you know, not, not something I have to worry about, then it like kind of gives me a sense of calm and I can say, okay, you know, I've done everything. I've literally done everything I can do going into this race. Uh, the weather will be what it is. My stomach will be what it is, but I have, I, I can feel rest assured that I have done everything that I can do on these final days leading up to the race. Mm-hmm. And that, that gives me a sense of ease and a sense of peace for sure. It doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not laying in bed the night before still thinking about the weather, but, um, you know, it, it certainly, it, it prevents me from laying in bed the night before thinking, oh man, you know, tomorrow morning is going to be crazy because I got to get my flashlight get or get my headlamp and I've got to, right. you know, grab this from over there and do this from over there. Because when you wake up the next morning, you should really be focused on the race. You know, you should be focused on kind of preparing the mind properly and not gathering all your kit together and, uh, mm-hmm. and rush, running around, you know, wondering if you're going to make it to the start in time. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And that is, I guess, sort of generalizes to all kinds of worry and anxiety where the the hardest thing to do but the if only you could do it you wouldn't feel anxious anymore is to understand that it you know worrying anxiety doesn't really help you it, when it is about things that are out of your control all it does is add this extra layer of stress to you and i i suppose in some cases you could you could say that that is helping you by making you alert and ready to go but when it is about things that are out of your control once you've done everything that you can possibly control then it doesn't help you at all then it's just it's just spinning wheels and needless stress that happens uh so i think it's really important to notice that about and, and apply it to a race day and know that you've really done every possible thing you can and now like there's nothing else you can do it's all done all the preparation all the months that is in you now and you kind of just need to go do what you know how to do mm-hmm. um and that should be even easier, like because what we just said about the endurance aspect, like there, you don't have to really perform in any one crucial few seconds. It's really just about doing what you've taught yourself to do over all this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And when it comes to like worrying about whether you've trained properly, you know, the the only thing I can tell myself that helps at all is that it <laughs> that it doesn't matter. You know, that uh, it is what it is, right? Like I have I have run the amount of miles that I've run. I have done the amount of preparation that I can. And this last week when I'm second guessing all of my long runs and trial races and everything like that, you know, um, 
that that none of that matters, right? So all that matters now is that I can get my head right. I can sleep properly this week and get ready for race day in a in a way that um, primes me the for the best that I am at the moment as as far as physical fitness goes. Mm-hmm. So, but I think you're right. You know, as far as like moving beyond race day stuff um, and anxiety more generally, you know, accept the things you cannot change and like kind of letting go of the things that you can't change and, and focusing on the actions that you can take. Yeah. And I think there's, there's another level to that that is beyond, um, I guess, I guess it is, it is beyond the level of hoping something happens or doesn't happen and worrying about whether it does or not. Um, You can also there's that that whole philosophy of this too will pass right that that mm-hmm. nothing is ever as important as it seems in the moment and and if you have a we'll go back to the race thing if you have a terrible race i know right then it seems like that'd be a disaster and that the you know your life is in shambles now because you just spent four months training for something that didn't work out at all but I don't know, a year from then or five years from then or 10 years from then, like you probably, you'll remember it and you will have learned something from it, hopefully, and maybe gotten better for some reason as a result of it. Uh, but it kind of just doesn't matter. And I that, that has helped me tremendously. The sense that almost everything doesn't really matter that much. <laughs> it's just like, I mean, it, it really, even the biggest things, of course, of course there are tragedies and things that, that really do matter and will affect your life forever. Um, but even those... It's impossible, I think, in the moment of just, you know, being devastated to to understand that in 10 years, you're not going to feel this way anymore. And in one year, you're not going to feel this way anymore. So I think it, th- we just have this, I think, um, what's distorted sense of, of importance of things or, or we, we have this inability to understand that in some future amount of time, we will not feel the same way now. We've talked about this example before with the people who fill up on Thanksgiving dinner and say they're never going to eat again, or people who wake up hungover and say, I'm never drinking again. Mm-hmm. It's impossible to imagine that in two or three days, you're going to feel completely fine, and you know, you're know you going to second guess that right. about never eating again or never drinking again. So um, I don't know. That has really helped me a whole lot with with anxiety and it's not something that you can just intellectually understand and say okay well that's my new philosophy and i'm fine with that but i think i just kind of went through all that stuff enough and it had it had enough of a negative impact on my life during you know various three and six month periods when i was kind of debilitated and unable to really do anything uh that i i finally sort of snapped out of it and said you know what this like there's really no reason to worry because things just don't nothing matters that much It, it always ends up lessening in intensity Mm -hmm. um yeah so i think this is probably a good chance for a good time for us to say that we're not qualified professionals to be talking about um (laughs) like like, uh i don't know dealing with really severe anxiety right i mean like if you have bad uh if you if you need help you should find help (laughs) right (laughs) but um i think so (laughs) um well it should definitely do more than listen to this podcast totally yeah um but uh you know i but i think that we should you know i'm glad you mentioned um that time when you were you know really 
overcome with anxiety and and you know i think it's a good opportunity for me to mention too that like up and up until recently anxiety was was pretty foreign to me it's it's never been something that um i have ever had to deal with thankfully um i've just for whatever reason been able to kind of let things go but um recently it's become this like issue and i don't know i don't really know what's been triggering it or uh where it's coming from but um you know, all of a sudden I've, start, I've started worrying about things like like what you were saying, you know, things that um, feel like such a big deal in the moment, but in the grand scheme of things aren't that big of a deal. And, um, you know, uh, right, for example, you might be able to hear there's some banging going on outside my house where we're doing some renovations to a new office for, for myself. And uh, for whatever reason, it's just caused me a, an enormous amount of anxiety where I like worry about this project all the time. And, um and, you know, I know that it's going to be done, right? Like, I know that it's going to get done and I know it's going to be great. Uh, but in the moment, every single little detail has become like this huge thing that's like overwhelming me. And, um, and you know, this is a perfect example of, of those things of like, this is not that big of a deal, right? Like, in the grand scheme of things, this is not, you know, not a big deal. What's the worst that can happen? Right. Sure. But, like I said, very hard to just accept that intellectually or to, to get that intellectually and then have it actually cross some threshold from intellectual to something to being emotional or gut level where it actually does affect how you handle anxiety. Cause it's, it's easy to understand that uh, mm-hmm. without it really helping you. Right. So, well, so the, as far as the, you know, I think you've written about this, some um, of the, you know, what's the worst that can happen, you know, kind of uh, accepting the, becoming comfortable with um the catastrophe catastrophe version mm-hmm. um you know that was something that we did or we talked a lot about katie and i talked a lot about when we moved when we quit our our jobs in dc and moved to north carolina to kind of do um to for me to do nomi athlete and rocket runner and for her to pursue a year a career in in yoga um you know, it, it seemed like a huge risk at the time because we had stable, comfortable jobs and comfortable paychecks and seemed like a huge risk uh, at the time. But one thing we just kept ask, asking ourselves, like, what is the absolute worst that can happen? Like, if this is a total failure, um, what does that mean? And it probably means that we would just come back to where we were. And, and we're, we are lucky enough to be in a in a situation where, you know, we could move back to D.C. and, and find jobs, you know, probably without too much trouble. Um, but that like, that seemed like it would be such this end of the world failure, but really, I mean, you know, if we had to move home to one of our parents' houses for a few months until we got jobs, or if we had to, I don't know, rough it for a little while, like that's not the end of the world, right? We could have gotten through that. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, in a time when anxiety wasn't a big deal for me, (laughs) um, you know, that was easy for me to kind of accept, you know, have you, have you, practice that much of the reviewing your uh or like coming to terms with the worst case scenario yeah i've i've done that plenty um and i think that that's one of the things that has helped me a lot um i think i got the idea from the tim ferris stuff uh for our work week has a good bit about that he calls it fear setting i think kind of instead of goal setting it's like you you Imagine the worst possible thing that could happen if you were to pursue this thing that you want to pursue. And most of the time you find out it's not that bad. Um, I don't know that it works 
for other kinds of things, like a lot of my anxiety was like health anxiety or just general like, you know, the sense of being in danger or or mm. not say I don't know. Like that was more difficult because it's like, well, if the worst case scenario is I die, <laughs> uh, that, you know, that kind of is bad. Yeah. So yeah. it wouldn't work that well for that. Um, but I think just in general, like in general, doing that type of exercise, um, for me, lessens the amount of going down crazy, improbable kind of rabbit hole scenarios where I do end up dying. And <laughs> and it just it kind of helps you short circuit that a little bit. And I, I, he, Tim Ferriss actually turned me on to um, Letters from a Stoic, which is written by Seneca. It's 2,000 years old. And I don't know. I Some people say it's sort of like hard to get through. But as far as that kind of old stuff translated from... Like I imagine Latin. Um, as far as that goes, like I feel like it reads fairly easily and applies um, to a lot of practical modern scenarios. So I actually really enjoyed reading that. I've never been able to get through any sort of philosophy things like Plato or Aristotle. I've attempted those and just got bored or couldn't couldn't do it. Um, but this Letters from a Stoic book really, really helped me a lot. It gave me a lot of um, just kind of confidence with things. And, and that, like he, he does this whole... Seneca recommends you you take a certain amount of time every few I don't know every few months or every year, but where you actually live as if you were completely impoverished and you know you you don't eat much food or only the worst type of food the cheapest possible food you can uh, you don't you don't change clothes or much or something it's just like basically simulating here's what would happen in this worst case scenario where I was out on the streets or whatever. Um, and you find out it's actually not that bad. And in fact, I, I bet the most people who do that, I haven't actually ever done this, by the way. Um, I imagine if you would do that, uh, surely it'd be uncomfortable, a lot of it. You also might discover a lot of things that are really nice. Like what, like if you just didn't have your smartphone, if that made you off the grid for a week, uh, you might find some positive things about that and say, wow, there's actually some, this worst case scenario isn't really that bad. Now, of course, I'm not, I'm not trying to make light of if you were homeless and, and say that wouldn't be bad. The point is, that's not the same as you know dying or or other great tragedies that might happen in your life so anyway he he recommends doing that and i think that's like i said i've never done that but i think just reading that book several times for me kind of got me my mindset in the state as if i had done that and i kind of felt like wow like these things are not such a big deal mm-hmm. so that worked for me uh but it was really it was it wasn't just that it was part of a bigger process that took you know i, I did over several months uh, and i'll get to that in just a second but for for in the meantime or or <laughs> first i think first is the right word yeah i think that's probably right first we need to thank our sponsor let's do it this episode of nomad athlete radio is brought to you by thrive market a revolutionary online marketplace with thousands of the best-selling non-gmo foods and natural products always at 25 to 50 percent below traditional retail prices. Thrive Market offers far more than just food products and pantry staples, but also carries personal care products, eco-friendly cleaning supplies, beauty products, and even home care products delivered straight to your door. And since everything is automatically discounted to up to 50% off, on each product page, you can compare the price to retail and see your savings right there. Matt, one of my favorite features about this online store is being able to sort by category, including vegan. 
Uh, when you're in a, like a, a traditional store, I find that I often stick to the same brands and products that I already know, so that I don't have to read through the labels or like interpret ingredient lists. You know, try to figure things out. But with the sort feature, Thrive Market does that for you. They allow you to filter out all the non-vegan foods, so you never have to guess. And Oftentimes, I end up discovering something I have never seen before. It turns out that 70% of the Thrive Market catalog can't be found on Amazon, and a lot of it can't be found in your traditional grocery store either. When you check out Thrive Market, get an additional 25% off your first order, plus a 30-day free trial by visiting thrivemarket.com slash nomadeathlete. Okay, so as I was saying, uh, the Seneca book, Letters from a Stoic, was kind of part of a bigger process that I did. And that for me, I, mean, I don't think this is like universal to anxiety, but I, I do have a sense that my anxiety, uh, I mean, although like kind of triggered by an event, it, it really, I think, was the result of just built up stress, which would lead to anxiety uh, over several years. So I think I had I had started the business, No Meat Athlete, then I had a child a year later, uh, and then we moved one year after that. And I mean, none of those in the moment felt like, wow, this is causing me so much stress. But if you ever, I think at that time, I filled out one of those, they're like these stress uh, questionnaire things, like, and you can, you can actually calculate how much stress you've had. And you know, it's, it's, of course, subjective, but they, well, they make it objective by saying like, did you move in the past year? Did you do this? Did you, did you have a divorce? Did you have a death? I mean, all these different questions of things that would be potentially stressful. Right. And uh, I did one during that time and it actually came up really high. And I was like, that's strange because I don't feel that stressed. Hmm. Um, but anyway, it all led to this anxiety period where I was really in, in rough shape for I don't know, a few months. And what came out of that for me was this sense that I kind of like needed to grow up and be an adult and that I had sort of just carried this, um, I don't know, kind of immature mindset into adulthood, adulthood. And, uh, this is when I wrote that, this post on turning pro, which was like, I think in the beginning of 2013, kind of a new year's sort of thing, um, and it was just the theme for me was kind of I need to like become a professional, so to speak, in in my whole life, not just in my job because I already was a professional in that, but I needed to like be more professional in being a husband, being a father, and and even like stuff like reading. And this is kind of why I picked up the Seneca book, but kind of like just wanted to develop a philosophy um, that I believed in and, and kind of find a spirituality thing. Uh, as you know, Doug, I am not a religious. But I, uh, I, I do sort of, I don't know, dabble in trying to figure out what meaning there is, if sure. any. Yeah. And, and uh-huh. so I read a lot of sort of Buddhist sort of inspired things. Uh, certainly I'm not a Buddhist, but I don't know. I, so I, I really have read a whole lot of books since then, just accumulated them uh, since in the past, whatever, five years. And I, and I feel like I've kind of gotten somewhere with that, where I have a... a system of beliefs that actually makes sense for me so anyway all that is to say is no one book i don't think is gonna like if you if you were having the type of anxiety that i was um which was fairly severe uh, it's not like a book is gonna just help you and fix it uh for me it required that whole thing that i kind of took on my own and i had to i went to a therapist and i even got on medication for a while and i think all that stuff played its part in helping me uh but i don't know somehow somehow it just it did seem like that that trans that personal transformation thing was necessary and and you know how they say everything happens for a reason i kind of wonder like maybe in the end it was good because it caused me to have to face all that stuff and go through that sure yeah i mean i think a lot of times especially if it's something that's been building up over the course of several years you know it might come to a head in in this kind of terrible way but it's good that you're addressing it right exactly 
Yeah. And you've had your turning pro moment, right, Doug? Yeah. Not brought on by anxiety, just brought on by New Year's. Yeah, (laughs) just brought on by New Year's, sure, yeah. (laughs) It doesn't feel like it right now, but uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, um, what else, Doug? What else on this topic of anxiety? General, more generally than just race day anxiety. Anything else to to cover or? Well, I think we should talk about some of the like practical, common advice that uh, you know people may have heard, but but often don't think about or don't uh, aren't willing to commit to when they're feeling some level of anxiety, but you know maybe not to the point where they need to go see a, a therapist or, or get on medication or something like that. Um, you know, I mean, like the the big issue that comes up for me anyway with anxiety or re- has recently has surfaced is this uh, inability to kind of sleep at night. Like I, you know, I get in, I wake up in the middle of the night and I start thinking about things and I, it's hard to like let that stuff go, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you know, so I I have a few things that I've been doing, but do you have any tips for like how to deal with kind of that lower level of anxiety? I mean, I don't, I don't know if I have in the moment tips for like that specific problem. I mean, I, I have that problem, and it's funny that you, not funny, but it's, it's interesting that you are now not sleeping at night because I remember in a couple of years ago we talked about sleep a lot, and I was shocked that you said you slept the entire night that you just <laughs> yeah. go to sleep at night and then not wake up till the morning, which for me was uh-huh. I just would rarely ever do that, and uh, I, I go through phases where I do sleep well now like that, but uh, I'm still someone who wakes up you know three four times a night, just turns over and then goes back to sleep. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I mean, in that that particular moment, I think it's it's so easy to get your head racing in circles about the stuff. And uh, for me, putting on just a podcast has actually really helped a lot mm. in those kind of moments. Just because it makes you, it forces you to listen to something, uh, or sorry, to to focus on one thing, and it kind of just gets your mind onto a single track where it's just sort of following and being led, not not kind of going around in its own circles. So yeah, that that helps me. But I think I think probably. I'm not an expert at all this. I would imagine someone would say that maybe the anxiety, the sleep stuff is a symptom of anxiety. So it's more about addressing the anxiety during the right. waking hours sure. so that you don't have that. Um, and I think the typical advice that is, which I read plenty of, was do some sort of meditation practice, mm-hmm. do some sort of exercise, 20, 30 minutes a day. Doesn't have to be anything intense, but just be moving. Um, and... Do I, I did journaling. I found that really helped me. I, I liked that anyway, but during this particular period for me, that was helpful. And I don't know. I mean, I think people would suggest diet, and I think you already are on a good track with diet, sure. uh, obviously, because that it's, you know, it's there are lots of things that affect mood, and I think the more you can eliminate those strange, you know, manufactured fake foods that, that would have create mood swings and all that stuff. Drinking is a big one. For me, whenever I yeah. drink a lot, uh, like the next day i i specifically notice a sense of anxiety paranoia sort of hmm. strange feeling and uh people always talk about that and sleep and anxiety of course yeah i mean drink drinking has such an impact on your sleep um that if you're having trouble sleeping like it's it seems like a no-brainer and you know and just kind of the way it affects your mind um so yeah you've, it, so you've cut out drinking that entirely <laughs> not entirely but I, I definitely cut back on drinking recently and you know so what i've been focusing on mostly is, is the exercise during the day um, you know, trying to make sure that I'm creating good kind of pre bedtime routines so that, you know, I'm, I'm in a good sleep space at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, for me, I have, I have been just like laying in bed for hours at a time. And so what, what I've come to do is, is now get up 
to address, you know, to write down any thoughts that I'm having mm-hmm. in the middle of the night instead of just like laying there spinning on them. Because often there's nothing you can do in the middle of the night. You know, if you start thinking about work or you start thinking about whatever, there's little you can do productively in the middle of the night. But, you know, kind of write write down what my concerns are and kind of um, try to address them as best I can. Um, and then uh, when we, what I've tried to do is not get on, you know, not start working. So not like get on a computer or anything like that, but instead read a book or, or do something like that that um, is not screen related. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, but I think you're right. I mean, I think that, you know, sleep issues are often symptoms of what's happening during the day. So um trying to do what you can to address it there yeah these kind of tips are interesting like i i found i guess when i was going through this stuff i kept hoping that i would find the thing that like just made it better like Mm because i wasn't exercising at all or very little when this all started happening and i remember the 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 therapist who i went to said well you need to exercise like just make sure you get out for some little thing 20 30 minutes a day and this is by the way is how my 100 mile training started because i just wanted to go out and i didn't think about mileage or anything i was just running for to get to the end of the clock. And uh, and I started putting in all these slow miles that turned out to be pretty peaceful and nice and got me back into running. So that was a good thing that came out of this. Uh, but, you know, I don't know that that particular thing actually helped with anxiety and neither did meditation on its own. And I, I never really found like this thing that just suddenly fixed everything. Yeah. So I think, I think all those things are like, if you don't already have, if you have a lifestyle that is full of, stressors and doesn't have de-stressors like meditation or you know some form of exercise or a healthy diet then i think those things can start to uh help you i i kind of have the sense that like if you're already doing most of that pretty well that i don't know that there's something else that needs to be addressed kind of like me with that when i found i realized that like i had this whole big self-discipline sort of turning pro issue Mm -hmm. um that i felt like i really had to get taken care of so i don't know i mean who's to say i I don't want to say that all all those little things won't help you it's quite possible they will um but yeah well they might be addressing the symptoms and not the yeah i think i think that's a good way of putting it but yeah speaking of addressing symptoms (laughs) um do you know what i forgot to mention this Do, do you know what uh have we talked about yoga nidra before i've i think we have mentioned it one time on this podcast because that's what they do on the cruise or one person does on the cruise, and I got into it on the cruise. Yeah, it's like that's been what is it like sleep sleep yoga? Is that the idea? Yeah, kind of. It's like they kind of walk you through relaxing different parts of your body, mm-hmm. and um, you know you're supposed to kind of get into this like trance like sleep. Uh-huh. Um, but for me, it just kind of knocks me out if I if I can relax into it and do it. And so I have been been doing some of that, and that ah. that has been fantastic. Well, that's good. Yeah, very good. And you can yeah, there you can find podcasts on it and stuff so if you're interested in that just search for it on on the webs you don't have an affiliate link or something Doug, to i don't that? have an affiffiliate link <laughs> to to katie's uh <laughs> you know yoga nidra module <laughs> no okay. i do not all right well uh anything else no i think we should wrap it up i mean you're uh you you gotta hit, hit the road right i do i have a little i have a little golf trip and uh should be a nice thing, annual event. I've actually practiced this year, did mm-hmm. hit, as we've talked about, hit hit the golf balls a little bit, and I'm ready to ready to go show my stuff. You were telling me how many holes you're playing. It's kind of, it's more of an endurance event than uh... <laughs> kind of, yeah, I, that's true. Uh, yeah, we play. I don't know. Two rounds is the most we play. Two two eighteen hole rounds in one day, and then 
a 27 hole day and 18 hole, 18 hole day. So it's good. When I was a kid though, I, I would walk 36 holes a day during the summer a lot, like in the heat and carry the bag and all that. So I don't know, in a, to ride, ride in a cart for 36 holes feels like pretty easy, especially if you're drinking beers during it. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't feel it just, like I'm exercising. It just seems like such sure. a long time to be out there. Cause what, it takes like four or five hours to play around a golf? Yeah. I don't know why it goes fast. Hmm. Maybe the beer helps. <laughs> I mean, and, and you know what? It's there's a it's in a weekend long competition. Like you're on a team of four players, mm. and there's all this complex scoring. And one round is different from another. One's like a captain's choice scramble sort of round. The other one's a two man best ball thing. So like it's a lot of variety in there. Ah, well yes. that's fun. That'll be really fun. It is fun. So that will be good. Well, um, I hope it's a relaxing a relaxing trip for you. And um, and you know this was a, definitely a different type of episode for us. Uh, Real talk. So I hope real talk. Real talk with Matt and Doug. <laughs> That's, right. Yeah. That's right. No, I, I mean I don't know. I hope people I hope people enjoyed it. And I don't know if you're gonna get anything out of it or not, but um I think it's important to to open that discussion. Yes, I think the right person will will, you know, take uh take something from it because they'll say, Hey, there's other people out there who have, have that stuff going on. Yeah. So good. But Doug, I hope things go better for you. I hope uh I'm sure everyone listening to this wishes you the best and hopes you can get this handled. And then I'm sure I will. This was a downward-facing Doug episode. This is, <laughs> this is the epitome of downward-facing Doug. It was. It was. And, and no companies were No, you didn't, you didn't complain about any companies. <laughs> Just a genuine downward-facing Doug. <laughs> oh, that's funny. All right. Well, we will be back next week, and I uh, hope everyone has a good time until then. Yeah, absolutely. Take All care, right. everyone. Thanks for listening. All right. Bye.